0: Alan Kring Productions in association with Emergent Light Studio presents The Illinois State Collegiate Compendium Academic Lectures in Business and Economics This is Business Finance, FIL 240 for Autumn Semester 2023 Today, the cost of capital And this is a a subject that is mathy, but again, excel to the rescue, as it were. And uh, I may even have enough time to do a couple of stupid pet tricks that might be worth your while to know. Now, I've also got, I've been trying to get uh, a guest speaker here all semester, and uh, an expert in stock markets, and so that'll be coming up at three o'clock, he should be here, so we'll see. I'm hopeful that I can get that. So as a preliminary to that, just so we have, we're on the same page here, as you can see, we have definitely a bull market today. And of course, this kind of thwarts the idea that the end was here and uh, you you should see the, the i i i'm sure you don't follow the markets too closely or the news networks but i mean the doom saying yeah we're about to go into the recession of a lifetime now we're not quit it and uh, of course of course today was one of those um uh, rally days that kind of knock the bears back on their heels because you had a lot of the trade a lot of traders were getting into these bear positions and sure enough you have a good strong day like this and that's about the end of them and i'm going to show you i think i'll be able to do this next week i want to show you how you can take a bear position and a, a serious bear position And what happens, though, if you are wrong? It is, it's not pretty. And so, you have a day like this, you have those short sellers just starting to line up, and here we go. And all of a sudden, these shorts are standing there, uh, saying, "Uh uh-oh, and they can lose a lot of money. Of course, you can lose some money in in a bull position, too. But in a short sell position, it can get really nasty sometimes. So be cautious about being a bear. But don't ever forget that sometimes the bears come out of the woods and they have a real bad attitude. But as you can see, this is a little bit unusual. If I'm looking at this correctly, the Dow was up the most today at 1. almost 1.7%. That's a strong up day and uh but then the s p 500 and the nasdaq were both up really good but not as much as the dow the way you would interpret that i guess is to say look there was obviously good news and that good news was better news for ginormous companies so 30 giants of the earth kind of thing it was good for everyone but it was much. It was strongly beneficial to the Dow. So there's that. Now here's crude. Now here's the funniest thing about crude. Remember I talked about that trading band, 82 to 88. Well now we're at the bottom of the band, pushing downward. The war premium has drained out. that agreement between the Arab nation and Russia, well, we're going to cut our production and that'll drive the prices clear through the roof. Well, of course, as I told you, those don't last. And oil is flowing. You have the war premium that was there is easing out. And uh, a lot of the sentiment is that the, the war will be contained to uh, a fight between uh, a non-state actor and a uh, state in the Middle East. Uh, But oil, I mean, we could see oil, the price of gasoline slip a little bit more. It's not gonna slip a lot. Don't get excited about $2.25 a gallon gasoline. But it does have a little bit more room on the downside. So long as this uh, oil market continues to be filled with oil, uh, gold, look at that. The gold bugs are just convinced that the end is near. They've broken the $2,000 an ounce uh, resistance line by, by, a, by a good margin. And uh, they're holding that we're about at the end of the of the uh, good times here. So we'll see about that. Euro and the um, uh, pound were appreciating, so let me see, the yen, which should be red. Yeah, it's red. So the yeah, the euro, the pound, and the yen all appreciated against the dollar, showing the strength of those currencies relative to the dollar. However, the one thing that I do notice is that they are in a range they're bouncing they're not plowing upward anywhere near where the euro was a dollar twelve or dollar fifteen they're bouncing back and forth in a range now just sort of ebbs and flows bulls and bears on the currency and all that nothing no direction over a period of days and there we go the Nikkei took a whack right at the beginning. And the rest of the day, nothing happened. There was some big news that in Japan before the markets opened. And then when the markets opened, there was this drop. But then it didn't go any really anywhere from there. So there was no continuing bad news. There was just bad news that made the price, made the index, the Nikkei 225 drop at the beginning but then nothing after that. But that was a, you know, it was less than a percent, but still. And now in London, there was good news. And when the sun rose there and it popped up and then it just kind of floated along. Uh, Sometime after the midday in London, it, it sank, some kind of news took it down, but then that kind of got through it before the end of the day and it stabilized again. Now I do this with you because the more I say this, the more you think in a good way. You don't look for you know, these mysterious mathematical forces and complicated analytical tools. You just think your way through. What do I see? What do I know about the environment, the business environment, uh, global politics, global conflict? And actually, it kind of gets fun because you're thinking more than just numbers. You're thinking about the why and uh, all of that. And that's good news. Having a look around, and I, I'm really kind of feeling around here. Now, the uh, United Auto Workers just had, a, uh, had uh, an agreement with one of the automakers. So just to have a look to see if that had any impact on other car manufacturers today. Oh, gee, Ford took a toilet break. I mean, look at that. Ford has been losing ground, nasty ground. See, it's high was clear up to 15 and a half, and now it's near its 52-week low. And that's not good news. Uh, Look at the one year on it. Oh, damn, that thing is volatile. But do you see how it's falling off a cliff here? That, you notice, descending tops, descending bottoms, that's not good news at all. I mean, I don't want to do technical analysis too much, but somehow Ford is just getting a bad rap. Again, notice those declining tops in the intermediate. And notice that the, the bottoms are declining, too. So that would tend to tell some analysts that there's still more room for it to go down. And right now, it's near its 52-week low, and that might not be how far down it goes. Just out of curiosity, see if GM did the same thing today. Now GM was up. It wasn't up as much as the market was. Uh, and notice that the beta of GM should magnify the, the overall market. The market was strong, pretty strongly bullish today, but for some reason, General Motors was up, but it didn't really, not nearly as much as the market. You know, one, one and a half percent, the market was up. GM was up less than a half a percent. So there's, the automakers are in some, some issues now. Uh, just out of curiosity, Art Rivian, Local, comp- local, oh, it, it's getting creamed, it's getting slapped. There's some bad news. You're getting a, a hard, there's a PR pushback I'm seeing in social media right now against all, elect, uh, all electric vehicles. And I, I'm wondering why now? Usually the answer to that is there's someone, be- some force behind it getting PR, PR out there positive pr or negative pr and it seems to be pretty negative on electric vehicles right now with supposed experts coming in trashing the whole idea of electric vehicles because they will use more energy than power plants are currently able to produce so who knows what that's all about going over to something else uh i don't know lucky Martin see how the war stocks are doing not very big not very much so that's good news they'd be up a lot if there were real serious rumors of war so that's sort of like kind of like confirmation that we're not in too much trouble and of course Tesla just for a laugh yeah Tesla is really beginning to slide look at the f- one year it had a surge upward, but then it topped. Do you see how this top wasn't as strong, uh, didn't make it? It challenged the top neckline there, and then it did, tried to do it again, and it didn't make it. And then it began to slide off. So you've got declining tops, and you've got, in the short run, declining bottoms in the short run. And you've got negative news that analysts are beginning to get real sour on Tesla, right now. There was one article yesterday, pretty authoritative, that said the banks are just getting sick and tired of just pouring money at Elon Musk. They're They're sick of it, but they don't know how to get out of it. The investment bankers are the same way. It's what I was telling you earlier. They've put such a massive stake into it that they can't cut it off now. They've just gotta keep fueling it because if they cut it off, then they would lose, oh, god awful amounts of money. You might even buckle some of the big houses in the big banks if they cut them off now. Make a deal with the devil and then wonder why your butt is on fire. Anyway, enough of that. Now, I, like I said, I've got to set up a couple of uh, Excel stupid pet tricks, and I will put these into kind of another one of those templates. I'll, I'll fix one up for it, just so you can see how this works, though. As I had said earlier in the semester, when you're an accountant, cost is a dollar amount. That's and for most people that's why accounting seems like it's real technical it's real correct but as i had said before in finance we really don't care too much about numbers what we care about are percentages and everything we do we try to turn into a percentage cost of goods sold well we are more interested in the gross margin a percentage uh and all that kind of stuff a stock rises by a certain dollar amount well that doesn't mean anything to us we care about the percentage well the dow fell 700 points yeah well that was a percent big whoop so in finance we're more interested in saying everything is a percentage and so when i say the cost of capital and I wrote that on the board, the cost of capital. I'm going to be talking about percentages. It's all percentages. There's no dollars in here whatsoever. But it does get a little bit odd because you have to think in percentages in some places where you wouldn't think that a percentage is appropriate. So the cost of debt, well, that would be the interest that you pay on the debt uh, in dollars. For us, that doesn't really mean much at all. So, for example, with debt, let's, let me talk about debt here for a second. Suppose that we have some company, uh, let's say PZV 5.50% 2038. Now, you, probably, I hope you remember, that means that the coupon is 5.5% of the face value. And face value is always, unless I say something otherwise, 1,000. I'm looking for something here. Oh well. Oh, I got a calculator here. What am I doing? Uh, let me pull up uh, a calculator. There. I'll just leave that up on the screen for the time being. So, what that 5.5% means is that the dollar interest that would be paid, the coupon amount, would be 5.50% times the face value of $1,000. And that's the same thing that happens with preferred stock. The dividend percentage times the face value of the preferred. So there you go. And what that would give you is $55. Is the dollar cost of the debt per year. And we do everything annualized if we can possibly. Okay, well that's fine. But two problems with that. The first problem is that that's not the cost of debt, not exactly, for two reasons. One is that the uh, company is going to be able to deduct that $55 from its taxable income. uh, the company subtracts interest expense before it calculates taxes. So that cost of debt there is not exactly right. The R sub D, now R's will be cost, and that D will be debt, would be one minus the tax rate times, and this would be the after-tax cost of debt, times the before-cost tax of debt. This is the before-tax cost of debt, the coupon, for now. So let's say that the tax rate is 21%, which it is right now. So in other words, in this Example one minus T times of oh, one minus T I'm, one minus point two one times five point five zero percent. And if I did that, I would take one minus. Let's try that again. 1 minus 0.21, close the parentheses, times 5.50%. Well, try that again. 1 minus 0.21, close parentheses, times 5.50. 4.345. Percent. So that would be the cost, the after-tax cost of debt. But there's one more thing I, I must do. And that goes to the fetish in finance for staying away from historical numbers. That 5.50% is what the cost of debt was at the time that that bond was issued. That bond might have been issued in 2028, 2018. It might even have been in 2008. That's not the cost of, that's not the cost of debt now. That 5.50% is old history. It doesn't have anything to do with what the current cost of debt is of the company. So are we, uh, do we have to guess? Oh, absolutely not. We know what the current cost of debt would be. It's a yield to maturity. The YTM. The, what, the, what investors are requiring now. What the company would pay if it issued another round of debt like that one right there. The yield to maturity is what the investors want now. So in other words, this is not going to be good enough for us. Let's say we ran the numbers on the yield to maturity. You do that bond calculation on the Excel. Let's say that the yield to maturity right now, interest rates have definitely gone up since then. So the company is probably facing, well, we could just say, all right, run the numbers, on the price of the bonds right now, and suppose that it is 6.35% is the current yield to maturity. That's what we should be using. So what we would want to do is say, okay, the after-tax cost of debt, that is what we should be using, would be 1 minus 0.21 times 6.35%. We use yield to maturity, not the coupon rate. That's the one we should use. That's the one that is happening now, not the one that happened years ago. So if I run it again, 1 minus .21 quantity times 6.35... So we have the debt. R sub D, after-tax cost of debt, is... percent. Well that solved that problem. Got that one out of the way. I'm having my marker is dying so let's try find another one. What do we got here? Oh, that one's a good one. Okay. Keep this one. Oh, we got the debt. Now, you remember over here, I had there was debt and then there was equity. And equity had preferred stock and common stock. Preferred and common. So we've got the debt taken care of. That gives us that component cost of capital. Just hang with me. This isn't too bad, but... I mean, the second round of it will go in and we'll do some more calculations. But it kind of all goes to the same thing here. Preferred stock. Remember that preferred stock is a no-growth perpetuity. The price right now of preferred stock P0, preferred, P-R-E-F, would equal, should equal, the flat dividend divided by the required rate of return on preferred. And I did that last week. It's just a... Uh, no, no growth perpetuity. The, the present value of an infinite stream of the same amount forever divided by uh, is the dividend divided by prefer, require, required rate of return to preferred. If I turn that around, I cross multiply the required rate of return to preferred would be the dividend divided by the current price of the preferred. That's all there is to it, nothing more. Just get that formula into your Excel or into your notes somewhere. So in other words, Uh, PZV 3.4% preferred par value $75 per share Is currently priced at fifty eight dollars and twenty cents per share. Cut that down, and I encourage you don't make this think, don't think this is any more complicated than it is. It's just step, get the numbers, take them out of the words, and put them into the formula. So in this case, okay, the required return to preferred Okay, we need the dividend. So we can get it, the dividend is going to be just that 3.4% times $75. So, 0.034, I'm going to be lazy and just do it up here like this, divided by the current price, $58.20. That's all there is to it. Get the dividend, divide it by the price. That's all you do. So in this case, what did I say? 0.034 times 75 divided by $58.20. Four point three eight per cent. So preferred R sub PRF, I'll put it, is going to be what did I said it was. That's all. And there's only one left. Now, I'll bring up, in the common stock, they sometimes call this The cost of retained earnings. I hate that term, but it's very popular. It's the cost of your shareholders. Cost of retained earnings. This one is the pain in the butt. Because it's not as easy to calculate because there's not a one formula to use. Now a couple of ways that we can do it. A couple of ways we can do it. The one way, if I've got an older company that's got a stable growth of the dividend, you remember that the price I could do as D zero times one plus G over R minus G. The price of the stock, I'll use an S for common stock. You remember that one? That one will work if the company has a dividend that has a stable growth from here to eternity. Well, I can turn that around. Let me write that a little bit simpler. D one over R sub S minus G. Okay, so I've got the price right now of the stock is the dividend one period out divided by R sub S minus G. Now I'm gonna do a little cross multiplication. First, I'm going to say R sub S minus G equals D1 over P0. Just put that over there, that down there. And then R sub S, well, there you go. There's a cost of preferred. Oh, I'm sorry, common stock. If there's a constant growth rate, which there isn't always, but we've got it here. So, PZV common stock just paid a $2.25 per share dividend that is expected to grow at 3.0% for the foreseeable future. current price of the stock is $20.50 per share. Okay, we're in business. Write that down. Hmm. Now, first things first, I'm going to need D1, which is D0 times 1 plus G. Now, I just paid the dividend of $2.25, and we'll times that by 1 plus .03. Keep this a little bigger here. So, get it all done. And we have... Um, uh, let me do that. $2.25, 2.25, times 1.03. So the dividend, D1, should be... Two dollars and thirty one cents and three quarters. So the dividend at period one, two dollars and thirty one two point three one seven five. So now we can just get the cost of the common stock, which is two dollars and thirty one seventy five over. P0, the current stock price, $20.50 plus the growth rate, .03. Make sure you add that growth rate out past the divide. Now, watch me screw this one up. (laughs) Divided by $20.50 plus Point zero three fourteen point three one point fourteen point three zero per cent fourteen point three zero per cent. So there we got it Common and again the book calls this retained cost of retained earnings. R sub S equals fourteen Point three zero per cent. There's a three. And we're right here cost of common. What I showed you is how we can get the cost of common stock, the cost of your retained earnings, using the dividend growth model. So that's method one. If you've got an old company, stable growth of the dividends, then it's just that stupid little formula right there. If you don't, there's another way that I've actually shown you already. You remember this equation? The expected return to stock is R sub F plus beta of the stock times expected return to the market minus the risk-free rate. That's the cap L. You can get it. You you can get. You can use a cap M to get it. You say, "Well, wait a minute. Is that easier?" Yeah, it is kind of, but what usually happens if you got an old old company, constant growth, the dividends grow at a constant rate? You probably would, in real turn, in real life, you would probably calculate it by both the dividend growth model and the CAPM. Make sure that they're pretty close. If they were different, you might probably take, well, the most common thing would be to just take the average of the two, if they're fairly close but not the same. Yeah, you can use CAPM. Okay, what happens if you, okay, this is great. Method one, if there's a constant growth dividend. Method two, If you don't have that luxury of a constant growth, but you do have a beta. If you have a beta, you're in business. Or if you can get a comparable, a beta of a comparable company, you're in business. What happens if you don't have either of those? (sighs) Then you go to a kind of an odd method. Seems to be awfully popular these days. Not sure why. is in an industry where the average yield to maturity On its bonds on bonds is six point eight two percent and the cost of common stock is 22.90%. Again, this, this used to be one of the things that we kind of talked about no one uses it but it's actually used instead of any other way these days theoretically the cost of common stock should be the cost of debt after tax uh, cost of debt after taxes plus An equity risk premium, an EP. In other words, the cost of common stock in the industry is 22.9%. And that equals 6.82% plus some kind of equity premium for stock being riskier. Now, if I were to solve for equity premium here, I would find that the equity premium is 16.08%. In this industry, it appears that stock rides sixteen point zero eight per cent on average above the cost of debt. Well, suppose the PZV, the cost of common stock. Whoops, I'm sorry, would be equal to the cost of debt for PZV, which is 5.0165% plus an equity premium. Let's say its equity premium is the same as the industry's. 16.08%. 16.08%. That came from there. It's a backass way of doing it, but it's done. So what you eventually find is that by this method the debt cost of debt plus an equity premium is 21 Point zero nine six percent Notice that that way of doing it gives me a much different answer from the, the dividend growth way of doing it. That's why you pretty much are going to have to choose one or the other. Because they are usually going to give you different answers that are noticeably different. And this is the one that seems to be the most popular these days is that what we call the uh, cost of debt plus equity premium. Now, which way do you use? Well, the book will tell you which way to use it for the homework. When you get it for me on a quiz or an exam, I'll tell you which way to use which which way to do it. I won't mess around. Now I could give you wording that could point you to the right one, but I'm not going to do it that way. Not this early in your learning about finance. I'll just say use the CAPM, or use the dividend growth model, or use the equity premium, that cost of debt plus equity premium model to get it. This is an awful lot like work. But take all of that aside. I'm gonna do this again on Wednesday. We're just gonna do this until you're sick of it. And then I'll give you a surprise quiz on Wednesday of next week. But let me show you something. How does this get us to the cost of capital? It's kind of important. And you can see some things along the way. Notice, for example, that the cost of equity is inversely related to the price. As the price of a company's stock goes down, its cost of equity goes up. Now, any of the models, it's not as obvious in the other model, in these last two for the cost of common equity. It's the most obvious when you look at it from the dividend growth model. But whichever model you use, when the price of a stock goes down, its cost of equity capital goes up. That's why companies... That pretend that they don 't care what the stock price is doing should I had uh, several consulting jobs where at a meeting i would uh, I would just say, "Look, the stock price is going down, and they, they said well yeah that 's so what and I, I, they weren 't trained in finance, so it wasn't like I could just say, well, the denominator is going down, so that means that the uh, fraction is going up. It's, and it's not felt right away in a company. It's almost like a low-level fever. The company's stock price is going down, and they don't know why, but operations are suffering from that. Why are they suffering? Well, it's because their cost of equity capital is in, an, in a hidden way rising on them. They'll find out for sure if they try to do a seasoned offering, they'll be able they won't be able to sell their stock at a good price. But even before that, the company will experience it because its overall cost of its capital structure is going up. So, that's uh, that's an important thing right there. There's something else going on too. See that G you notice that as the growth rate of a company goes up, its cost of equity goes up? That's a, that, seems, that almost seems counterintuitive, but it's not. As, the, as a company's growth rate increases, it's going to cost it more to raise, to raise equity capital. As a matter of fact, I don't know if I mentioned in this class, I've been harping on it in um, another class, Uh, in my short-term cash management class that, in fact, there's an equation, which I will never show you, that shows that there's a maximum growth rate a company can have before the company actually buckles. And we've got good examples. We've got a lot of examples of companies. They were just growing and growing, and as long as you're growing... You're not, hey, we're growing so fast. Isn't this awesome? And, of course, the news networks will say, look at this company. Its growth rate is 40% over the last year. And, in fact, that is going to destroy the company. It actually kills it. The growth rate can break a company. You, sir, you're my son. One day you're this little toddler. Hi, Daddy. Oh, God, don't call me Daddy. (laughs) But, But... the next day, you're the incredible bulk. Hi, daddy. And what happens? You try to walk out the door. You hit your head on the ceiling and you kill yourself. Real examples for real people. <laughs> you get it, though. I mean, what's happening is that the company just cooks itself. Because, and it cooks itself because its cost of equity capital goes up so rapidly that it can't accommodate it. And then it's gone. That's, the cautionary tales uh, from the past are quite impressive, but we have a couple right now where the calculations for the growth of the company are right now exceeding the sustainable growth rate of the company. Now, we can't say it's going to die because it might be able to turn it down. We have to look to see if it's slowing down. In other words, that, that curve is decelerating of growth. And it, But if it doesn't, well, we can pretty much call it. These companies will break. So that's two things. One is, when the price of the company's stock goes down, its cost of equity goes up. That's a great quiz question, great midterm, a final exam question, hint, hint. But also... If the, if the growth rate of the company goes up, that increases the cost of equity capital. In either case, you don't have a good uh, scenario. Stock price falling or growth rate above a sustainable rate or growth rate accelerating, that's a disaster over a period of time. Now, a growth rate that is really high for a couple of years is is doable. It slows down, but if the growth rate doesn't, your cost of equity capital is going to kill you. Now, for the 800 pound gorilla, what all of this is about is the weighted average Cost of capital. The WAC. This is a a big one in corporate America. It's a big one. It's used for lots of things. Most notably, for discounting cash flows. Which it shouldn't be used for, but it is. The WAC is nothing but the weight of debt in the company's capital structure times the after-tax cost of debt plus the weight of preferred times the cost of preferred plus the weight of common stock, the weight of retained earnings times the cost of common stock. That is the weighted average cost of capital. That is a really, really sweet way to do this (coughs) really fast in excel. Now, a definition and I'll repeat it a couple of times so you know it's important The capital structure of a corporation is the percentage of debt and percentage of equity that makes up the total assets. The percentage of debt and the percentage of equity that makes up the total assets. So if I said the capital structure of a company is 25% debt and 75% equity, That would be appropriate. Now the equity could have preferred in common. So it might be 25% debt, 5% preferred, 70% common. But we usually just put the two equities together. That's the capital structure the combinate the percent the combination of debt and equity that makes up the total assets the percentage of debt plus the percentage of equity that makes up the total assets now companies are generally their capital structures are much more weighted toward equity than debt 30 percent debt 80% equity, 10% debt, 90% equity. You don't see debt very often as the dominant component. There are, however, a few firms, their capital structure is nearly 100% debt and 0% equity. Those are almost pure debt companies. Then you see some that are almost 0% debt, and 100% equity. Ideally, it's somewhere in between, and I'll explain that on Wednesday. But I I will not do that, the Excel today, but I, I can assure you there are some things we can do in Excel to make all of this work a lot faster and a lot cleaner. And I'll actually build the template with you on Wednesday, so that you understand how it works. Let me. Uh... <clears throat> but when you see Tesla sliding in price, the most important part of that is, um, besides anything else, that Tesla's cost of equity is skyrocketing. Ultimately, that is doom. The banks and the investment bankers who've thrown so much money into it, sooner or later, they're going to have to make a choice. Do we abandon the ship and let it go down with the baked ham on board showing off? Or do we uh, stay with it and go down with him? That's what's going to come. And that comes partly from just... Broad fundamental analysis, but it also comes from just the technical mathematics of it. You can defy gravity only so long, as Wiley Coyote found out when he finally looked down and he was halfway off, he was way off the cliff. So there you are. Let me see if my guest, who is an unrepentant bull, is here yet. Hi, I'm a bull, and I'm here to talk to you about bull markets. Bull markets are where it's at. The market is going to go up permanently. And I should know because I'm a bull. And don't believe anyone who tells you differently. You hear these investors talking about bear markets, these experts talking about bear markets. Well, I'm here to tell you that there is no such thing as a bear. Bears do not exist. They are a myth. I have never heard of a bear in my life. No, move, move! Leave me alone! Get away! Get away! No, it's a bear, it's a bear market! Help! No! Move! 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 That's why I have for a